Hey guys, welcome back to Tap That AZ Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Walters. This episode is pretty surreal for me, but I'll get into that in a minute. Before we get into that, I want to thank you guys for listening to the show and for your support. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. It's always free to subscribe and listen to the podcast. Leave a rating and review on iTunes. That's really, really helpful. And if you're feeling up to it, you want to send me a screenshot of that, I'll send you some stickers. So it is uh, eric at tapthateasy.com or just reach out on Facebook or Instagram. Much appreciated. So always been a big fan of the traveling food shows like diners, drive-ins, and dives. Some people like Guy Fieri. Fieri, apparently there's a specific way you have to say it. Uh, some people like him. Some people don't like him. I like him. I think the guy's. I mean, he's kind of cheesy little bit but uh he's a positive guy and he really puts some positive light on some places uh some places i think there's like a shitload of them anyways anthony bourdain um locally we've got plate and pour now if you guys have never seen that that's on um uh, pbs arizona pbs it is called plate and pour the host is chef mark tarbell so they've had places it's only been on for maybe two seasons now but they've had ren house on already they've had uh tamra stanger cotton and copper uh, so really, really cool show. Plate and pour. Check it out on your local television service network. Uh, <laughs> PBS Arizona. All right. A few years ago, I uh, came across a travel channel show called Booze Traveler. So traveling and drinking. Yeah, I'm in. So immediately fell in love with the show and thought that the host, Jack Maxwell, was one of the coolest guys ever. Uh, so me, me and the kids would even watch this show. Um, you know, my daughters are five and seven and they would enjoy the traveling aspect of it um, and i would enjoy the boozing aspect and traveling so anyways fast forward last year here i am here i was there i was uh, at goldwater brewing having a beer with who else jack maxwell so um just kind of a t- kind of tell the story in this episode of how we met and since then we've become really great friends what an awesome awesome guy still doing some really cool stuff uh, and our schedules finally aligned to be able to get him on the podcast so all right, enough babbling from me. This is Jack Maxwell from Booze Traveler. All right, so we are here. This is a familiar spot to you, right, Jack? Uh, actually, it is. You've this been is here? The great Arizona wilderness, downtown Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. I was here. Actually, uh, they were nice enough, Jonathan and Pat, being that they were on this show that I used to do, which I'm sure you'll get to. They invited me to the pre-opening opening of this. Ah. And I would go to support them, of course. But uh, it was, we want to see what the service is like, so everything is free all day long. Ah. That, that might have been a little bit more of a motivating <laughs> factor, but I'd come, and you know, like I said, I'd come down to support them for anything. So, yes... This is uh, very familiar to me. I like what they've done with the place, though. It's a little, little snappier, a little fancier. I they've think really they did come that a long recently. way. Yeah, it's yeah. great. They rearranged things a little bit than than what they they initially had because um, they used to have those tables that come out of the walls. They had that that over there, but I like the flow of this now. This is a sure, which a good no sport. one can see, but trust us, it's That's different. Right. <laughs> That's right. They got all these great beers. You know, we did this watermelon goza I see up there. They didn't have that opening day. Yeah. And uh, we featured that on the show. Oh, it's good stuff. Oh, I that have... was one of the ones that you guys featured yeah, on, on Booze Yeah, I'm going to have to try one of those. Nice. Well, let's let's go back a little bit, Jack. So, well, first, introduce yourself. We didn't even introduce you yet. Sure. Well, you're the host. I'll let you do that. I don't want to say something I shouldn't. I don't know how to do this. This is the most pressure of an introduction I've ever had. So, uh... <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> no. I'll, do, I'll take it off your hands. My name's Jack. I'm Eric's friend. 
We met because I used to do a show and he does a show about drinking. Uh, I did a TV show. He does a podcast. We had that in common. I've met his wife and his kids, and they're wonderful, and I wish them all the best. Yeah. The show I used to do was a show called Booze Traveler. It was on Travel Channel. Eric, take it away. I don't know what yep, else to no, say. That was it. That was it. So, so no, I, I, uh, my kids are even a, a fan of the show, Jack. You know, I, we've, we've told you that. I think the kids even, they probably got shy when you came over to hang out. I think we watched the Patriots game the yes, one time. Yes, we did. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, girls love the show. Uh, my my seven-year-old Callie she's like I want to travel after watching your show she's like I want to travel she's like I don't know I don't care about the beer stuff or the drinking stuff but that's good you should say that now (laughs) seven years old yeah they're kids (laughs) you know I wasn't going to expose that part of it I was just going to (laughs) say I met them but uh, if you want them to watch drinking shows it's not my business (laughs) Uh, so yeah Jack Maxwell host of Booze Traveler good friend Uh, was really cool to, to meet you we first met I feel like it was about a year ago now um, I think I just was a random Instagram person DMing you, right? <laughs> yeah, and I thank you for your patience because yeah. I get a few of those, and yeah. I finally got through them. I said, this this Eric fella seems like a nice guy, yeah. and I'm, I'm sure that... Uh, you know, it'd be fun to go out and have a drink. He's, he's very knowledgeable about drinks, which is nice. Yeah. And uh, you seem to know the show, and you had some questions about that, so... Because I'm here in Phoenix doing uh, chemo for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I really live in Los Angeles, technically. But I'm here doing that, and I figured while I was, why not meet up for a drink? I'm glad we did. Yeah, me too. It was pretty surreal. I I don't know if I ever told you this aspect of the story. So the day after you and I met, um, I did like my first video hosting, like where I was a host. We were going to Cider Court over Mesa. Um, Had this, you know... Local media company said, "Hey, man, we want you to host. You, we, you know a lot about, uh, you know, the beer industry and the craft beverage." Um, I'm like, "Yeah, sure." And I talked to him. I'm like, "Dude, I've never been in front of a camera, so it was for surreal for me to be standing there on Scottsdale Road, bullshitting with my favorite travel host, and you giving me advice on what to do." <laughs> you know, I remember that very specifically. Yeah, we were on the west side of scottsdale road yep yep right outside of a place that we upstairs we had a we met up there so uh and i and i remember saying to myself and to you i believe that i didn't want to give you advice because i i didn't really i'm not capable of giving advice i just i was trying to encourage you just to be yourself i mean if if anything on the show i just tried to be authentic everything we said we were going to drink we did all the people on the show were real there were no actors and all the reactions hopefully were honest reactions uh even when the drinks weren't so good yeah so i said just have fun with it and be yourself because i i know that from what people have told me from who watched people who watch the show say that that's what they respond to authenticity Clearly, it's not a scripted show, so go have fun. And you did it, and you were good. Yeah. And you said getting that first one under your belt uh, was nerve-wracking, but it was really great because you learned so much from it. It did. And I, one thing I, I did learn, and you might have, and we'll go back a little bit in a second here as far as like your, you know, how you got into acting and all that, but I caught the bug, man. I like being in front of the camera. Yeah? <laughs> I do, yeah. You son of a gun. I, I really it, do, You yeah. get it. That's the fever, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And really by the way, congrats yeah. on your podcast. I think oh, it's thanks, great. man. Yeah. That's not easy to do either. No. Even though we're hiding behind microphones and no one can see our faces, and we're in a restaurant where people are doing their own thing, uh, it's still not easy. And no. even though this is tape recorded, or however you want to say that, not yeah. live, 
it there's still uh, it still can be nerve wracking wanting to get it right. Yeah. Wanting to be able to express yourself the way that you want to and have yeah. the audience understand that. Yeah. So good for you, man. Thanks, Ben. Thank you very much. I, I had a call center job for years that I never thought was training me for anything other than being on the phone. And then I started interviewing people on a previous podcast. I'm like, all right, maybe I did learn to do something. I learned to interview and you know guide a conversation and, and have it be an interview, but still be a conversation. And no so. one yells at you on this one, like a call center. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So, Jack, go. let's go back. So your, your accent obviously is not a Phoenix accent. This is true. Right? <laughs> so so where, where are you from? I was born and raised in South Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, it's an area called Southie. I'd like to clear something up right away. I don't know where this comes from, but nobody is a Southie. They're okay. from Southie. At least I never knew that. Okay. And I love Goodwill Hunting. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But uh, when Robin Williams was talking to uh, Stellan Skarsgård and said, oh, he's a Southie, or maybe it's the other way around. I forget now. He's a Southie. I've never heard that. Yeah. So people from South Boston, please correct me, or people from Boston, if you're a Southie, I just never heard it before the movie. Yeah. So I am from that area. Um, there are a lot of movies about that little place. You know, there's obviously Goodwill Hunting. There's a movie called Southie with Donnie Wahlberg. Okay. Uh, Mystic River was Southie. The Departed oh, right. was supposed to be Boston and South Boston. Whitey Bulger, who... Uh, was the mobster who ran Southie? Black Mass, yeah. obviously, was Southie Johnny with Depp, Johnny Depp, who yeah. did a great job. Uh, so Joel Edgerton was in that too. It was just so many for uh, such a little neighborhood. There's been a lot of a lot of movies, and I I am very proud to be from there because I thought the people were just the salt of the earth. I mean, they're just down to earth. A lot of them real poor. And they still tried to get by. They were good, honest, decent people, the ones I knew. Yeah, sure, there were some tough ones. And there was some crime, of course. And there was some uh, animus towards people who didn't look like them, of course, or act like them. At least back in the day. This is the days of forced busing and everything else. Yeah. But uh, there were people who did their best. And I'm just, I'm very proud to say I'm from there. Work ethic. I would see, think something like that would give you that work ethic. To, you had to. Because yeah. it was an Irish neighborhood. And uh, Irish Catholics have a lot of kids. And you yeah. got to take care of them, <laughs> yeah. you know. And yep. I remember uh, in my building alone, there were, uh, I won't say their names in case they don't want me to, but there were at least two, maybe three families, all Irish last names, all had uh, eight to 12 kids. Man. And in, in a little apartment in I the projects, say, no less, D Street it, Projects, yeah. 50 Flaherty Way. I was going to say, you, when you said building too, right? You're like, oh, yeah, our neighbors had you know, eight to 12 kids and you could vision like, oh, they must have had a big house. Like, no, this is a building. Like this is, they an apartment, an apartment in a building, yeah. no less. That's crazy. And there were uh, four on each floor in that building and the buildings were attached. Yeah. So on the good side, which is why I try to look at things, uh, great hockey games and stickball yeah. games, always yeah. kids around to play, play with, right? That's true. Learn yeah. how to play sports. Yeah. And because of those kids in the neighborhood, I was never wanting for a game, that's for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We didn't play inside like these fancy kids today. <laughs> yeah, right. No video games. There was Pong, and that wasn't until much later. <laughs> yeah. We went outside. We yeah. played street hockey. Yeah. A stick ball, because there was no grass really around it. We threw the, threw the football around. Yeah. And those were the glory days. The Boston Bruins were Bobby Orr. Celtics were winning championships. This is the 60s now. I was born okay. in 62. And, uh, it was just a it was just a Bruins town, not Celtics, and always Red Sox, of course. And the Patriots stunk. Yeah, I remember they were so bad. Yeah, they had shirts. Maybe they sold them at the local stores. I forget. But it, 
It was the old logo of the Patriot guy hiking, hiking through the his ball legs. between the ass, yep, right? Yep. And uh, they would put their record on from the year before, and this is back when the 14 game, so they're usually 2-12 and 12 or something like that. Yeah. And, it would, and the quote was, I gave the Pats a pat on the back. Yeah. Like, nice job, fellas, <laughs> right, but you stink. Right. And then we got Steve Grogan, and he was a great running quarterback, but still not enough to get anywhere. But now look how great they are. Yeah. People are win sick that the Patriots win so much. Yeah. Absolutely. Not, not to mention the whole city of Boston. Yeah. Celtics, Bruins, Patriots, Red Sox. It's been a glut of championships this yeah. century. Yeah. So how does that how do you think that impacted you? Like how do you think it impacted you growing up in the time where where the teams you had to be a diehard. Right? You had to be a diehard oh, too. Oh, I didn't know anybody who wasn't. Right, yeah. Oh, if yeah. if you <laughs> didn't root for, for the local teams, yeah. Like as I got older kids started thinking on their own and rooting for different teams like i had a friend who didn't live in the projects lived up on fifth and he for some reason liked a, a hockey player named gary unger okay and he was a pretty boy from the 70s looked like andy gibb yeah had the feathered blonde hair didn't wear a helmet he was the, i think he was a center or a wing for the st louis blues and this kid was my best friend yeah that i'm talking about stevie was his name and I said, how could you root against the Bruins? It was <laughs> yeah. blasphemy. Yeah. I just, that's, I, I couldn't understand that at all. Yeah. And he just liked Gary Unger for whatever reason. And uh, so we went to a Bruins and Blues game. I'm sure we made a bet on it, even though we were 10. Yeah. <laughs> degenerates from the neighborhood. And I remember that uh, Bobby O had a great night, and the Bruins won 7 nothing, and he was so sad, and I was ecstatic. Yeah. Gave him a hard time for years after that, I'm sure. Right. But, uh, yeah, most everybody, real diehards. Yeah. Just, because we didn't have much. Yeah. When you grow up poor, you hold on to things that maybe are immaterial to other people, like, like loyalty and uh, berging, as they call it. It's an acronym, B-I-R-G, basking in the reflected glory of your sports teams. Okay. And it meant so much to us because yeah. we had nothing. So, okay, so we're broke and... We're putting cardboard in our shoes, and I don't want to romanticize it, but this is true. I had no father around, no nobody, no male influence. So you grew up, you know, you had to scrap every once in a while, and people trying to steal your, your hockey stick or your glove if you're lucky enough to have one, or your tennis balls, whatever you're playing, you know, yeah. the, the little orange ball for hockey. And uh, so, so there were things that were important. We all had to take care of each other because none of us had. Yeah. So I watch your back, you watch mine, and that's, that's something, it's not taught either. You have it and you learn from experience that everyone is doing this, this group think mentality. Yeah. Or you're on your own. Yeah. And it's so strange now because when I moved out west, when I moved to Phoenix back in the day, there's, there were no neighborhoods like that back in the day. Phoenix was just a small little one horse town in yeah. 1975. And I'm happy to say now it's a wonderful, big, growing city still to this day. Yeah. But something about that neighborhood, even though we were all poor, we came from different walks of life, but uh, we had that in common. So we really held on to things like that, like rooting for your team and looking out for each other and being best buddies and really caring about yeah. the other people. So someone else came in that shouldn't be there, different story. Yeah. Somebody gives one of us a hard time, then others were there for us. Even though there was some infighting and, of course... 
you know, there's bullies everywhere and things like that, but uh, we learned to deal with those too. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Well, it's like a sibling, right? You know, you can you can pick on your little sibling, but if somebody else does, like, nah, that's, exactly that's right. not happening. That's not, yeah. I could have saved you 20 minutes of an explanation. <laughs> I just say it that way. <laughs> so... Uh, so when did you when did you figure out that uh, that you wanted to entertain people? Like, or you'd always been entertaining people? I don't know that I ever really did. I was kind okay. of a shy kid. Uh, I was one of the two one of two kids in the projects that went to a, a Catholic school called St. Peter's in South Boston, up in Sixth and I. Ironically, the church was right across the street from me in the projects. Okay. So I would be an altar boy there on Sundays. And then the nuns would come down once in a while to, to that church uh, to visit the, the priest and what have you or do services. But the school was up the street a few miles. And uh, so I just, I just sat and learned as much as I could. I really wanted to absorb. I thought that I was not good enough, not smart enough because people put you down if you're from the projects, right? Yeah. yeah. I remember a friend of mine uh, who lived on 5th, a different friend. Uh, that's where we went. That's where we went after school. The babysitters would watch us, and I overheard the father telling the mother about me. Now, the project kid is here. Hide the silverware. Uh-huh. Now, maybe he was joking, of course, yeah. in retrospect, but I didn't even know what silverware was. Uh-huh. I mean, I know forks and knives and spoons, sure, but yeah. no one had. I mean, you call it silverware. It's not really silver. Yeah, and maybe he really had it because they were in a not really a Tony neighborhood, but it was nicer than the projects. Yeah. And I remember I was so upset because I knew it was an insult. I didn't quite understand what he meant. I was seven or eight, maybe. But I was, I, I was just hurt that he would look at me that way. So I always wanted to make sure that I, I caught up to speed on things, that I, that I learned, that I was a good student. That, uh, you know, and my mother made sure that we were, all, we were dressed as nice as she could afford always and that we were clean and we weren't dirty kids and running around. Of course I would because I love sports, so... I remember one Easter, I skidded on the ground and tore holes in my Easter pants. My mother <laughs> crucified me, as, she, as they say back in the day. Brothers I'll and crucify sisters? you. Uh, <laughs> one sister. One yeah, sister. one sister. Okay. And uh, so one day, I, I'm watching TV or something like that, and I'm like, this is really cool. You know, another thing is escape, right? When you yeah. don't have, you escape into things that you want. Yeah. Fantasize, whatever you want to call it. And I was watching television, and I, and I was just... A uh, show called QB7. It was a miniseries with Anthony Hopkins and Ben Gazzara. And it's just wonderful. And I just thought, that's cool. I'd love to do that. Once I found out they were actors. Yeah. I thought I was watching, you know, uh, court television. Or whatever, okay. Back before they had sure. it. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> yeah. Little kid. Yeah. And uh, my mother said, no, that's acting. I said, that's really cool. I want to do that. But once I found out what it took... And the, the sacrifice you had to have in the schooling, and I knew I couldn't do that because I'd ask people in the projects, how do you become an actor? What are you, Jackie? What are you talking about? Go play hockey. What are <laughs> <Yeah>. you, a sissy? <laughs> so uh, I put it aside, and then we moved to Phoenix, 1975, and I wanted to, uh, I, I asked the counselor how to be an actor, and they said, drama. I said, great, sign me up. Yeah. He said, well, you know it's after school, right? I said, wait a minute, that's when sports is. Yeah. Yes, that's when sports is. Generally speaking, you don't do both, is what he told me. Yeah. I said, well, all right, then I pick sports. Yeah. You know, forget <laughs> it. There's, you know, there's girls I have to impress. This is seventh grade. <laughs> right, right. There's kids I want to become friends with. I better be good at sports. Yeah. And then in high school, you don't have to uh, do it after school. It's an elective. Mm-hmm. So I walked into a drama class before I, you know, you, they let you uh, do a, what's it, what's it called? 
where you where you walk around um, and get to see before you oh, choose like an the open class. House type open of house, thing. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yep. And I walked into a drama class, and there was a guy uh, holding a skull, you know, practicing. Alas, uh, yeah. poor Yorick. <laughs> we knew him well. It's just overdone <laughs> stuff, and yeah. and the teacher was. Hopping around the floor, they were doing a musical, and I can't sing or dance. I still can't. So it scared me, so I didn't take drama. Ah. Anyway, long story monotonous, I put it off forever, and then one day I walked into an audition. A buddy of mine and I and another guy uh, moved to uh, Las Vegas from Boston. I had gone back to Boston from Phoenix. Went to Vegas, saw an ad for, uh, they're looking for uh, people for a play. Auditions. I had never auditioned. It's too long a story to tell you, but it was a horror show. I left in shame. Came back a few days later. They said you can't come back. We have to call you back. Meaning, the like, term you're, call back. You're like so, your your audition was a horror show, or were you auditioning for a horror show? No, no. This, uh, <laughs> I would have been good if I was auditioning for a horror show. I would have fit right in. This guy's terrible. What a stiff. Let him play one of the mummies. I uh, no. I uh, I was just really bad. I didn't yeah. know what a cold reading was. I'd never read out loud in an acting thing. I just wanted to try it. Yeah. Because it was in the back of my head all this time. And so I left in shame, and I came back a few days later saying, I know I was bad. Can I try that again? And they said, no, we have to call you back. You know, that's what callbacks are for. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, just can you, I just, I can't sleep, you yeah. know, knowing that I can be better than that. And they let me do it. And uh, by the time I got home, this is back in the days of answering machines. Sure. Before voicemail. Yeah. In the 90s. I, uh, there was a message on there. Beep, one new message. Would like to offer you a part. Can you come back? Wow. So I turned around and went back and talked to them. And they gave me a bigger part than what I auditioned for. So uh, that's how I learned I started. And then it went from there. I auditioned for a real big play two weeks into the rehearsals for that one. And everybody laughed at me in the cast. They said, you'll never, you barely made this. That's a real big theater company with a real director who's flying in from L.A. They will laugh you out of there like yeah. we almost did. But I auditioned for it, and a few hours later, I ended up getting that. So I was doing two plays at once. Nice. And that's when I decided I will take this seriously, and I'll try to do nothing else the rest of my life. Because this gives me the greatest joy. It fills my soul. It, it soothes my, uh, any bad feelings I might have had about anything. They yeah. all go away when, up on, when I'm on stage. Still. Or now in front of a camera. Oh, yeah. Still, yeah. I just love it. Yeah. Love it to death. Why? What do you think it is that you, like, what is it that you love about it? You know, I've thought about that, and I don't know that I can come up with a great answer, but... It's an unexplainable kind of thing. Well, right? I, I think it's the ability to express yourself, right? Everybody wants to be heard and understood, and everybody wants to be uh, accepted for who they are, and which is antithetical, you would think, to acting, because you never play yourself, right? You're always playing a character. Like, I'm going to L.A., um, I just got back from L.A. I did a movie. I was so happy to do it. I play a hitman. Nobody would think that I'm a hitman. No shit. I swear I've never killed anybody. <laughs> yeah. uh, but he's, uh, it's called The Pragmatist. He's a hitman with a conscience, let's say. Okay. I don't want to oversimplify it. But, yeah. you know, that kind of thing is great to be able to, to, be able to play. To be able to, it's like children at play still, right? Yeah. Like grabbing my hockey stick and going outside and doing slap shots against the wall, pretending I'm Bobby Orr or Phil Esposito. And that's what acting affords me the ability to do. I don't know if it's escape or just being, also being creative. Sure. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, in uh, 2014, I started filming Booze Traveler for Travel Channel. Yeah. 
and I got to be myself. Yeah. That was the greatest gift because I had been playing all these characters, which is fine and wonderful, and I'd done some television and some theater I was lucky enough to do, as, as you know, the people I've been on stage with, and, and movies. But uh, to no great note, really, no one would say, oh, there goes that famous guy who's... My... But I don't care about that. I just yeah. wanted to express myself. But then I got Booze Traveler, and then I got to play really close to myself. I'd say that's really me, right? Yeah. It's me going around having all these experiences because you have to be yourself. A yeah. lot of people fake it. They do things, some hosts, yeah. uh, whom I will not name because I don't know specifically, but I do know there are hosts who they... They play A when they're really B or up and down. Uh, you know, whatever the deal like is. a persona yeah, for and, that. And yeah, that, but that's not me. I, don't, I couldn't do it that way. I spent years as an actor. I want to be myself. Yeah. Especially since I'm meeting people who are not actors. Sure. Who are real people, authentic. Yep. No matter where they are. You know, down in Patagonia or in the, Tanzania with the Maasai Warriors or... Mongolia, Mongolia, Japan, yeah. sumo wrestlers, yeah. Siberia on a lake, drilling a hole, drinking vodka. Yeah. And the guy was just laughing so hard he thought it was the funniest thing. <laughs> and he was Russian. And all the Turkey, Iceland, Spain, Austria, Peru, Mongolia, Japan, Nepal, uh, the Netherlands, Armenia, uh, Lithuania, New Orleans, uh, Tennessee. That's season one only. Yeah. And I did four years of just the, the most wonderful thing. So I don't know why I love it so much. Really, I don't. I don't know if I can get any more specific than that. But I just know I do. Yeah. And when you find something that makes you happy, that makes you not just content, but really, really pulls your strings, man. Really yeah. helps you vibrate at a certain frequency, where you combine happiness with peace of mind. With you feel like all is right with the world, much like the perfect relationship or a great relationship. Yeah. You, you, you want to treat it with the respect it deserves. And that's how I feel about uh, this art. I know it's a business, but I attack the art first and let the business take care of itself. Yeah. Hopefully. Sure. But you got to do both sides of it, right? Because sure. otherwise it's, it become. I think a lot of people in those artistic endeavors, whether it's, whether it's music, whether it is, you know, like a, like a painting or whatever it is, you got to have both sides of it, right? Unless you're that rare, rare, just one-off kind of thing you got to put the work into it as well, and you have to understand the business side of it, right? Sure. I mean, I think that I've heard this a hundred times if I've heard it once. It's show business. Yeah. Okay. So unless you want it to be a hobby, and you have a really good job outside of that, and you want to do regional theater or summer stock or, you know, like Little Rascals, yeah. pull back the curtain, charge a nickel with alfalfa and yeah. stuff. <laughs> if you want to try to make a living out of it, you have to attack it a different way. Yep. And a lot of it is luck, I'm sorry to say. There are yeah. people who work way less than I do, are far more talented, and it's not a humble brag. Yeah. I've seen people who I say, you are brilliant, you know, in a little 99-seat theater or even just at an audition or at a table reading. Yeah. Uh, you're really great. You, uh, are you, uh, I'm not really working right now. I haven't worked in eight months or a year or two years. I used to do this, and now I had... I mean, they, they act circles around me. Yeah. So a lot of it is circumstance, right place, right time, of course. And uh, But you have to train. You have to be ready for when you get your break, and hopefully it comes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, what do they say? Luck is the... Is the uh, when what, preparation meets opportunity, exactly, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So, so let's go back a little bit, too, because I, I think a portion... 
the biggest portion of this is going to be obviously booze traveler, uh, but the the gigs that you had before, right? So from going to Las Vegas and landing those plays, what, what happened over the years leading up to booze traveler starting? Well, I uh, after a couple of years in Vegas, I got my SAG card. I worked on a show called The Watcher. Um, Sir Mix-a-Lot was the star of that. Never met him, but I did an episode, and then the director came back. They rotate directors in television. Yeah. So he was there for episode 10. He gave me a part, and then he came back for episode 13, season one. I think it only went one season, but he brought me back and said, hey, I just want to give you another, another part. We're going to cover up your face. You're a doctor because I'm not supposed to use people this close, but I really liked you. Yeah. I said, great, thank you. And I ended up tearing my mask off in the scene. Uh, like improvised? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I thought he was going to be mad. Because yeah. it's just in the moment, I swear. I wasn't, yeah. wasn't trying to get FaceTime. I was just so happy to work. Yeah. And he says, that was smart, man. Good job. Yeah. So, uh, so I did that, and I decided now not enough work was coming to Vegas. And I had people in my acting classes in Vegas who said, oh, Hollywood's coming here. Hollywood's coming. Because they filmed Casino there and leaving Las Vegas. Oh. and like that. But that's, I don't care about that. I want to... Like they said to Willie, Willie Sutton, why do you rob banks? That's where the money is. Yeah. I needed to go to either New York or Hollywood at the time. Now, this is 96. Yeah. Uh, to, to do this the right way, I thought, if I really wanted to give myself the best opportunity. Because I didn't go to Juilliard or NYU, Tisch, nothing. I mean, I started late in life. Yeah. So I figured I had to be somewhere. So I moved to L.A. And uh, I, I was lucky enough to get a, an agent who really believed in me, and we became friends, and we were friends until the day she died, long after she retired. Janine Cosden, I owe her everything. She's just the best. And uh, I got a, a little part on a show called Pacific Blue, and I think that was on UPN. I don't even remember. Yeah. Uh, and then right after that, 90210, the original. The original. The, the OG. original. OG. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And everybody was so nice. That's what yeah. I remember from it. Jason Priestley took me around we talked about hockey because you know he's from canada and uh vancouver i believe or at least somewhere in that neighborhood and so we joked about the canucks and the bruins and everybody was super nice and just coincidentally i was going back and forth uh the way i was i was a guest star on that so i worked one day and then i was off four or five and then i worked my other day later in between i was working on a, uh, a soap opera called Sunset Beach that was also created by Aaron Spelling. Okay. So yeah. Tori Spelling uh, comes over to me and welcomes me to the set, which I thought was very nice. And I said, thank God for your father, because I'm doing another show of his. Yeah. No one knew. No one understood different casting. Different. It's not like Aaron Spelling liked me. I'm quite sure he never knew who I was. Yeah. <laughs> but he... Uh, I happened to do both, so I said, thank you for your father. Yeah. She goes, what do you mean? I said, I'm, I'm on Sunset Beach, too, this week. And yeah. her brother happened to be on there. Uh, so he sa she said, oh, when are you working? I'll come by and say hi. She never did, but it was a thought that counts. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. The, the experience was really amazing. And then I start, each, each time I got a job, I felt a little bit more confident yeah. that maybe I can do this. Yeah. Right? Then I got a play, and then I, then I got a... Uh, I was lucky enough to do uh, to get into the actors' studio, which was great. And then the, the wonderful actors and the acting there, and you learn so much. And the critique of the acting really turns a light on, and you say, "Oh, that's how to approach it, and that's how to look at it." And then it was a uh, I got to do a play with Al Pacino and oh, Jessica yeah. Chastain and Diane Weist, and and then I just sat there and watched and said, "Ah." 
So this is what the greats do. This is how they work. This is how they learn. This is how they perform. This is how they express themselves. And then I got more television. Uh, Lost and 24. Uh, House, Without a Trace, Power Rangers. So whatever I could do. Yeah. Little movies. Uh, and then hosting came along. And then, of course, uh, that brings us just about to today. Yeah. You know, in 2000, I hosted a show called National Enquirer's Uncovered. And uh, that was my hosting experience. So I, I was kind of, I fell into hosting shows, right? That one, Movie Showcase on DirecTV, and, and, and then Boost Traveler. When I went on the audition, I said, wow, that'd be funny if I get this again, back to hosting. Because I always focused on acting, but hey, it's not so bad having your own show, no complaints. Sure. And to see the world, and to have a couple of drinks, where yeah. do I sign up for that? <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of people who would have driven a stake through my heart just to get that job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, so um, how did that come about? Like, how did how did the the audition for Booze Traveler and and the concept and and all of that? Well, it was created by uh, two women who were friends, and uh, good for them because they went out and raised the money, and they came up with the uh, everything to do with. I can't say they invented the genre because there were many drinking shows before that, as we all know, yeah. right? Uh, but they wanted to put it together in a certain kind of way. And we shot a pilot and we sent it around through an agency and everyone turned it down. And then one day, one of the partners got it to a, a vice president at Travel Channel and he said, I hadn't seen this. This is... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is just, just barely acceptable. So they took it and they changed it up a little bit conceptually. And uh, they allowed me to be me. Yeah. And early on, you know, there's some, I guess, creative speed bumps always. And who's saying what about the show? You know, yeah. the, the production company rightfully wants to make the show that they envision. And then the network's paying, so they say that. And then the two creators... They had their own ideas, so uh, it was rough sailing for a while, but we figured it all out. And then uh, four years later, the show closed, but it was just such a wonderful run. And I'm grateful to each of those people I just named, because without them, I wouldn't be where I am. Every one of them believed in me enough to allow me to be as much me as possible, just enough uh, to get to the next spot, where I learned a little more, and I... Uh, was able to grow as a person, as as, as a host of the show, uh, and I that was the experience of a lifetime. You're talking about it's odd because you go to college for four years, roughly, you know, depending on what you study and how long. But this is thought of as four years, yeah. like high school, right? Yeah, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, college four years. This was the education of a lifetime. Yeah. Got to see the world. I did. 63 episodes of Booze Traveler, 10 of Booze Traveler Best Bars, three of a show called The Trip. So what is that? 76 episodes uh, going around the world yeah. and roughly 60-ish countries because we had some domestic episodes. And it was just the greatest ever. So yeah. I'm just I'm, I'm full of experience and joy having done that, and I'll take those people with me forever, but mostly gratitude that I was lucky enough to be in the spot that when my number got called, I was able to answer the call. Yeah. Well, how did that happen? Like, how did? Because if I recall correctly, I think you told me about the uh, the audition. Like, there's an interesting story kind of behind 
way it all kind of put, got put yeah, together. Yeah, you know, I, I wasn't even going to go on the audition, Eric. I uh, Like they called you and asked you to... Well, I was doing a film. Okay. And I was co-lead, so I worked 18 out of 18 days that we were shooting this film. And uh, this audition, usually when they have auditions that especially travel, but even when they shoot, they'll let you know when the shoot dates are. So don't go on the audition and the callback if you can't take the job, right? Uh, gotcha, if you okay. have to go to family reunion back east during that day, do not go on the audition because we don't want to like you yeah. and then you tell us no. Yeah. So it was posted on there, must be able to travel out of the country on February 8th. My movie went to February 13th. So February that's 8th for the, for the pilot shooting. To leave America, okay. yeah. to, to go to these countries. Yeah. And uh, my movie went to the 13th. So that's six days if you include the 8th and the 13th, which is a third of the shoot. Yeah. So um, I went in, and uh, I, after a couple of days of auditions, they were foolish enough to, foolish enough to give me the part. Yeah. <laughs> and I took it. Did you tell them? They, they did. Well, they I did. Have yeah. I did, but I didn't tell them right away. You don't walk in and say that because they'd say, get out. Sure, yeah. I wanted uh, to have a fair shot at it, I guess. Once I got there, if I'm going to audition, I'm going to try to be... Try to be good. Try to get the job. Yeah. And it sounded fun, even though I knew I couldn't do it. So uh, after a couple of days and they narrowed it down, they called me back in and left everybody outside, sent them home and said, you got it. I said, great. I can't do it. <laughs> and they looked at me like the three monkeys. One covered their eyes. One covered their mouth. One what? How could you not? What do you mean? What are you coming to an audition for? You can't do it. Yeah. I said, are you kidding me? I audition all the time. I never get the part. <laughs> yeah. I'm just practicing. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about practice. Yeah, it's practice. And they, uh, they were uh, a little miffed, but yeah. they were forgiving because I was the guy. And yeah. they very kindly moved uh, one country. Uh, they didn't move a country. They moved the shoot in, yeah. in the country. That would be hard to move a country, especially <laughs> India. That was big. So instead of going to India, we went to Nepal and moved it around. And they, they let me finish the movie. And then I flew out right away. Uh, to Hawaii is actually where we started. That was and the first episode? That, no, that was a part of the pilot. Oh, gotcha. Again, okay. back in the day, the very first one wasn't just one place. Yeah. Like Booze Traveler was, generally speaking. It's sure. one, one country, right? Yeah. Uh, there are, I guess, some exceptions when it's a whole area, like we did the Mississippi, so several states. That's uh, how it was Arizona, too, right? Right, was, Arizona was southwest, talk? things yeah. like that. And there were times we've done, uh, like... Um, Zanzibar and Tanzania. Zanzibar is a, a semi-autonomous country, part of Tanzania, but still two places. Yeah. Anyway, we started in Hawaii. Then we did Nepal and the aforementioned Nepal and Thailand and Laos. So it was great. We shot, it was almost a month, 20-something days, and came home with enough footage, and they cut it up, and they sent it around. Everybody rejected it, and then finally got a hold of, like I said, Travel Channel, snapped it up. And then uh, they told us, well, we would kind of like to do this, but how would you, how would you do the show? Asking because, you, particularly. Yeah, because yeah. generally speaking, I mean, they already bought the show, and I was the host. Yeah. But generally speaking, you know, I've, I've been told what to, I mean, I, you know, I'm generally directed, yeah. and I have a character when I, as an actor, because I do no way more acting than hosting. And I just thought that, I said, well... A guy going around the world having a few cocktails should have some laughs. You know, should have a good time. Yeah. Drinking is that. We eat 
to satiate our bodies. We drink to satiate our souls. You know, it's the experience of it. Yeah. As a matter of fact, drinking is not good for you, generally speaking. <laughs> when you eat, it's to stay alive. Yeah. Drinking, I don't know, maybe you're trying to kill yourself, yeah. or at least maybe go to a place where you can let go a little bit. Yeah. You, can, you can loosen up. And I think part of that, people, when they drink, they act differently than when they eat. They take food all too seriously. There have been a lot of shows like that about food, right? Yeah. Uh, and some fun ones, of course, too. But I just think drinking, we should have fun. It was never about the knuckle-bumping, hey, bro, get drunk, fall down kind of thing. Yeah. For me, it was really about the culture. Yeah. And a lot of people come up to you disappointed. Hey, man, how come we don't get shit-faced more often on the show and yeah. get drunk? And that's cool if that's the show that you want to watch. It's just not the show I want to do. Yeah. And there were really good drinking shows that came before me, of course, you know? And yeah. I just think that I had to do it differently. I, I Fortunately, I would not seen any of them. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was able to really approach it, the people and the culture, the way I felt you should. And that was... Uh, unique to me, hopefully, you know. And, yeah. and someone else comes along, there'll be another drinking show, of course. There'll be many more. And when they come along, they do it their way. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that, too, because I almost feel, and I could be wrong on my analysis of it sometimes, but there's a few episodes where you see where you, you, you might have, might be highly buzzed, right? But it almost seemed like accidental, right? It wasn't a, it wasn't a hammerhead show. It was a show where you were like, holy shit, okay, that was... Yeah. This will get to you quick. <laughs> this will sneak up on sure. you. Well, that's yeah. the thing, you know? Yeah. I, I said, let's really drink what we're drinking. Yeah. I can't drink at all. You know, like if we missed an angle because the sumo was in the way. Yeah. Or an elephant. <laughs> right. Uh, or a bull when I'm chasing bulls and the cameraman missed the shot, yeah. which is fine. And I had to do the shot again. I can't do it nine times if we're doing it from nine. Because then we get our wide shots and things like that. Yep. So I wouldn't drink it nine different times. I, I would be dead. Yeah. But I did drink everything I said I was going to yeah. drink. And uh, But, yeah, there's some liquors out there yeah. that just blow your socks off. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'm used to drinking. I'm an Irish kid from South Boston. Yeah. I've had a few pops in my day. <laughs> yeah. But but there's some stuff out there that uh, get you wrecked. Yeah. And uh, not only is it, some of it is very high alcohol content, and others not so much, but you don't even know you're drinking. Yeah. And uh, and it's different, too, so you have to get used to it as well. You know, the mixers are different, or there are none. And a lot of people like to drink moonshine around the world. Yeah. And I would never insult people or a culture that would have me in and offer me all of the things they did to spend time with them. And to share their food, their friends, their family. And then when the drink comes, I say, oh, I can't have that. I can, I can take the rest, but not the drink. I'd never do that. Yeah. You know, it's not right. So they say, okay, this is what we drink. It's not like it's a, a, a challenge show. Like, yeah. let's see if the dumb American can drink this. Right. They drink it. Yeah. So if they can do it, I can do it. Sure. Yeah. And it's, they're, in, they're inviting you in into their home in all of these different situations, inviting you into their culture. And... and um, you know, it's almost like when you, if you make uh, dinner for somebody and they come over and they're like, eh, I'm not going to eat. And you're like, ah, oh, man. Like, oh, come the, on, you, try a little bit. Yeah, this yeah. This is my favorite. I'm really good at this. You're try so proud to... of it. You're so yeah, proud exactly of it. Yeah, right. this represents us. Yeah. And uh, that's, that, that's right, Eric. People yeah. were so proud of what they made because a yeah. lot of it around the world is homemade. Yeah. And, you know, there are some very famous drinks that I got to try, very unique recipes. Uh, and cocktails, beers, wines, bourbon, scotch, whiskeys, gins, bur everything. Yeah. Everything you could think of. 
stuff you've never heard of, or maybe you have, but uh, maybe others haven't. And it was always an honor to be able to try it. And when yeah. someone invites you into their home or their restaurant or their shop or their distillery or brewery or tent, whatever yeah. it is, yeah, and they sit down with you and they they offer to have a drink with you, that's that's saying something. It's like a big liquid hug. Yeah, and it's like a handshake saying. Welcome in. And they act differently. And people are generally really cool about it. And they're excited to tell you their story over a couple of drinks. And hopefully we encapsulated that in Booze Traveler. Hopefully we really caught what it's like to sit down with a stranger and have a couple of drinks and some stories. Yeah. Yeah. And so many different environments, too. Like, that's what, like, I mean, you were, what was it, the Mongolian flat? Like, you were, is that what they call it? Uh, the Gobi Desert, or the step, or the the step. That's yeah, or, sure. Or way and out the Hungai Mountains. Yeah, you're. you're uh, we had out some. There. Ooh, yeah. I went. I've been the hottest and coldest I've ever been in my life. Yeah, it was on booster. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the Philippines. It was 104 with 90 plus percent oh, humidity. Man. Felt like I was carrying an elephant on my shoulders, yeah. and another one was kicking me in the chest. Yeah. I could, felt like an anaconda was squeezing yeah. me to death. Yeah. Couldn't believe it. Yeah. It's sweating like crazy, like I was standing under a shower. Yeah. And then Siberia, the outside, the air temperature was 29 or 30 below, but I was on a hovercraft. Yeah. And the drones wouldn't work. It was and so we cool, the drones wouldn't even work. No, we yeah. wrapped them in blankets and put them in the, the van and cranked the heat. They worked for about 14 seconds. Yeah. And then the cameras wouldn't work. Yeah. So they estimated with, with the wind on the hovercraft, the camera stayed inside the, the thing. I was outside. Yeah. That it was 70 below-ish. I mean, I covered every inch of me. Yeah. Except I had those cool Ray-Bans on because yeah. let's not be crazy. Still got to look at <laughs> And my, my eyes were tearing up. And it, they were stabbing me. My wow. own tears were stabbing me. They felt like they were crystallizing yeah. right in my eyeballs. It was the strangest thing. But the best stuff I've ever had and the worst also on the show. Yeah. I had a thing in Turkey. Very first episode called Kaimak. And it's this clotted cream, buttery substance that's on this bread. And they do make it for three days. And it's, oh, it's the most beautiful, wonderful tasting thing. And then I had Rotten Shark uh, called Hakarl. And that was the worst thing I ever had in my oh, mouth. It's so disgusting. I wanted to hurl. <laughs> but the guy cha- um, challenged me to drink it, uh, to eat it, rather. So I did. And, you know, it's funny. It's all about perspective. Before that, he had this moonshine that he makes up in Iceland. And just getting it down was tough. But when I had that Rotten Shark, I said, give me that yeah. moonshine so I can wash it down. Yeah. Chase that flavor away. It was worse than the moonshine. <laughs> So was the was the shark was that a was that a challenge thing more or was it like here this is what we eat in our culture and he or did he know that it was he knew that it was pretty gross well it was both and I tell you what okay the the rotten shark is something they eat yeah because this is what there is a very tough place to live and back in the day the sharks would wash up on the shore and they would eat them yeah you know or they'd catch them but you have to let it rinse because sharks don't have kidneys. So the urea in their bodies has to render out through the skin. And once they die, I guess that takes about eight weeks. So they hang them in a shed. But we had these at two or three weeks. Yeah. So it tasted like like a dirty diaper smells. (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. That's a pretty uh, good descriptor. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) so normally the one you get in the grocery store, which one of the producers tried, she bought it at the grocery store, and she couldn't hardly keep it down, but she did. 
but this was it wasn't ready yet. So it was a challenge because nobody eats it like this. Sure. Except yeah. for this guy we had who's really cool. Yeah. He would slice it right off and eat it because he's been doing it his whole life, you yeah. know? Doesn't even make a face. Yeah. For me, it was <laughs> my cameraman tried to eat it. It was such a fun experience, though. It was one of the one of the greatest experiences and one of my favorite episodes because Iceland is such a rich country in culture and it's so isolated and there's, there's so much about it we don't understand and the way they do things and how there's, there's sunlight for a long time and then there's none for the longest time. There's, it's such a challenging place to live that you know if you live there and you stay there, you will love it. Yeah. And the way they, like the culture, the way, the way they, they have kids and they only get married because they want to throw a party. It's not, they do their own thing. And because very few people ever move in or out of the country... There's an, a, a phone app. You touch the back of the phones when you're on the app to see if you're related to the person you're about to go on a date. Because one in seven people are related. Wow. So if you get seven, two of them would be related, right? So if we're in here today at Arizona Wilderness, there's, you know, 20 people here. You're probably related to at least two or three of them. Yeah, yeah. in Iceland. If you're <laughs> yeah, in, in Iceland, Iceland yeah, right? yeah. And you weren't visiting if you're local, right? Yeah. So that's it's just so much about it was fascinating, except for the shark it was the most disgusting yeah. game I had. <laughs> so what so of the of the but I guess before you before you started the show, did you travel much? Like were you much of a traveler? I, I did, but not like that. Okay. I mean yeah. obviously this was a very concentrated uh, time frame because we're filming constantly nine, ten months a year maybe. Yeah. I'd never traveled like that. I loved the idea of traveling. I mean we were poor, like I say, growing up in Boston. So if you went to Western Massachusetts, that was a trip. Yeah. You know, I remember one yeah. kid went to Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania? Right. <laughs> and we had been learning in school about William Penn and the Quakers and all of that. Yeah. And I knew there were sports teams down there. Like the Philadelphia Flyers were good at the time. The Bullies of, uh, was it the Bullies of Broad Street? Was that the, well, there was that, was that the, uh, the Rangers, I forget. Okay. But it was Bobby Clark and Dave Schultz and all of that. And so I knew the Flyers were from there. They had yeah. just beaten the, the Bruins, one nothing in the last game of the Stanley Cup. Broke everybody's heart. But, but yes, I knew that was a faraway place. And somebody went there, well, what's it like? And all of that. So we didn't travel much. But uh, once I got the chance to, I did. Yeah. My first yeah. big trip was I was uh, 11 years old maybe just about to turn 12 and i came out to arizona which is why i ended up moving here eventually uh from boston yeah what a long journey that was to come out here for the uh in scottsdale the desert judo national championships oh wow in reality i wasn't really that good it was just yeah. another tournament yeah. but that's what they called it uh i'm not even sure i had to qualify because yeah. again I, <laughs> I was not like i was the greatest kid in massachusetts or anything but i loved it and then Kept me off the streets and helped me defend myself when bullies get a little crazy. Yeah. But uh, I li really loved Arizona. And so my mother said, you want to move there? Because she had gone the year before, and that's how we ended up moving up here. And then, of course, as soon as I moved to Phoenix, which is where we are now, couldn't wait to get back. But yeah. I love it. I love it. It's just, it's such a great city. And to see it grow, I'm, I'm just proud. It's like watching a little kid grow up. Yeah. From the one-horse town it was in 1975, roughly 600,000 people. To what it is today, Damn. with all everything it has, it's just it's wonderful to see it. Yeah, yeah. Well, so 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 during was it during Booze Traveler that you got diagnosed with uh, yeah. with cancer? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. Uh, about halfway in, a little more maybe, and uh, I went for a, a checkup, 
that my stepbrother, uh, who was a physician's assistant, encouraged me to go on. And they did a heart scan, and they saw a little blip, and they said, we're going to have to do a whole abdomen scan. Can you come back in? So I came back in, which was the next day. And they found my abdomen riddled with cancer. Wow. So they said, okay, well, one of two things here. With non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, once we discovered that it was that, you know, we didn't know right away. I had to do a biopsy and all that. So fast forward, it's non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. You can either eradicate it immediately or practice what's called benign neglect, where you keep an eye on it because it's a very slow grower. And I really didn't have a lot of symptoms. Or if I did, I thought it was from traveling, the yeah. show, and drinking strange stuff, right. <laughs> being jumping the international dateline, getting no sleep and sleeping too much and yeah. being on a plane. I thought it was that. Sure. Yeah. And they say, well, it might be that, but it could be the cancer. Yeah. Anyway, so after a while, um, about a year-ish later, I decided to, that it was time to take care of it. And I did, and I went into chemo. And uh, it's fine now. Um, and I do one day every two months in the chemo chair just to keep it at bay. I'll do that for two years. Yeah. Other than that, I just knocked on wood. Other than that, knock on wood, I, I am blessed again that I... I got a starter cancer. You know, yeah. it wasn't, wasn't a bad one. I've had friends and um, family members, of course, and everyone knows someone who's died from this horrible disease that I hope we eradicate someday. But uh, for me, I, I got past it, and I really, I have to say, it wasn't the, the horrendous experience I thought it would be. Only because people told me that. I kept yeah. saying, I'll be fine. They said, no, you won't. This is going to happen and that. And then your hair's going to fall out. Your eyes are going to hurt. And your skin's going to peel. And you're going to see monsters and nightmares and everything else. And I was, I was good. I didn't have any of that. Uh, I, 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 during chemo, I didn't lose my hair. I, I didn't, they said I was going to puke. I didn't puke. I didn't get sick. And I really think it's how you approach things, like most things in life. Yeah. If you try to be as positive as possible, not just to fool yourself, but it's the only thing we have control over is that we have the choices we make about what happens to us. Yeah. So I decided to be as positive as possible, but not just in my mind. I practiced it. In other words, I had a, like I'm wearing now, a set of headphones. I had noise-canceling headphones, and I played... I recorded what I think is the most beautiful instrumental song in the world. I had 25 different versions, a couple of vocal versions, but 25 instrumental ones. And I just have it on repeat. And it just put me in a zen place of relaxation. I had an eye mask. And then I had wax earplugs in my ears and then the cans over that so I could just barely hear it, almost on a subliminal level. Yeah. Because in chemo, I don't know if, if everyone... Uh, knows what it is exactly or what it looks like. It's like a big mani-pedi salon, which generally I see from the outside, but all the chairs are facing yeah. each other and yeah. they're big, comfortable, cushy chairs. Kind of like that, but everyone is there. Everyone's seeing each other. So there are people screaming and crying and being upset and then visitors coming in and weeping along with them because maybe they're losing their loved ones. Yeah. And the pain of cancer and the chemo and everything else is horrendous. And I almost feel like I had survivor's guilt. Like I didn't feel that. I, and, and I say this to friends. If I didn't know I have cancer, I wouldn't know I have cancer. Yeah. Just, it was that, oh, God, I don't want to say easy because then I'll get it and I'll be dead in a month. And you'll say, ah, oh, see? <laughs> Overconfidence. I just, it wasn't. It wasn't what I thought. It wasn't. It was exactly what I thought, but not what people said it would be. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I take that forward, and hopefully, people who have gone through it 
and I've I've run into many people who have uh, you know who know my story, and we did an article in Us Weekly, an exclusive with them, uh, to break the story that booze traveler guy has cancer. And so many people read that article and came up to me and said they're inspired and it's helped them get through it. And it was just so touching because that was an unintended consequence of, of me sharing this. Yeah. The only reason I did it, I didn't want people who know me, and, who I hadn't told, and fans of the show, etc., to, to find out some, some surreptitious way because there are people coming in, visiting the other chemo patients and you, you, you hear them talking hey isn't this not a, that drunk guy yeah. isn't that booze guy <laughs> yeah. did he get cancer from drinking is, this, yeah. the, is the drinking make him not have cancer what's going on with him yeah. that's booze traveler right and I know that somebody was going to lift the camera and do a selfie while I'm sleeping with them in the foreground me in the background because they do selfies at car wrecks at houses that burnt down yeah. people dying in the street people take stuff I don't understand that mentality so certainly they'll do it of me in, in chemo sure. yeah. even though they shouldn't do that yeah so we broke the story first and then of course people did do that and I said too late yeah I already broke the story right. <laughs> that's right trying to extort me for money <laughs> yeah. saying I have chemo yeah. uh, we all know it right. should have read us weekly I told you that three I weeks guess ago that's yeah. old news man <laughs> yeah so so Go, let's go back a little bit with the the booze traveler uh, experiences with it. Like what were? Because I know you told me a couple of stories where they were a little bit uh, scary. You had some some little bit scary situations. Yeah, in what way? <laughs> Do you mean the like? Well, more of like because like you're going into trouble in Dodge City, yeah, or uh, the risk of life and limb based on. Physical activities or wild Maybe animals? Maybe both. Maybe both. Yeah, because well, I know I know that. Uh, yes, is yeah. the answer. Yeah. Yes, there's a, there's a lot of all of that really, yeah. and and I, it's not that the network or the production company ever put us in unsafe situations. Sometimes this happens when you travel. Okay, yeah. so for uh, for example, we uh, we were in a uh, uh, a place Lithuania. And we run into a guy who has a pickup truck. And in the back of a pickup truck, he has the makings of a hot air balloon. No license. No registration. The makings no. of a hot air balloon. Well, it looked like it's a flat hot air balloon, yeah. but it was small. And, and he says, I'll take you for a ride. You want to do that? Yeah. And they probably should have checked with the network. I don't know if they did or not, or the production company, but we just jumped in it. Yeah. And it crash landed. <laughs> oh, I remember. Yeah. yeah. He had to put us down yeah. because there was a storm coming. And he said, if we up there 30 more seconds, we would have got caught up in it. Like Wizard of Oz, like yeah. Dorothy, right? Uh, so that was hard because we, you know, we, we landed very hard. Yeah. He says it was a hard land. It was crash. We yeah. went sideways <laughs> and then dragged across a, a, a road and landed in a canal. So, yeah, we would. So anyway, uh, things like that. I ran with bulls a couple of times. Yeah. You know, I, I can't say I almost got gored because what's almost? As long as you don't, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, things like that. Water uh, episodes. Uh, there's a place called Shark Beach in Sydney, Australia. And there's netting all around the beach because bull sharks, so named because they're so aggressive. Yeah. Uh, gotcha. Uh, they, uh, Thank you. they get. Thank you very much. We had someone just bring us a couple of drinks. Because we're at Arizona Wilderness Brewery in downtown Phoenix. Yes, um, and, but we're at Shark Beach. Now there's netting, right? So no big deal. Except we were outside the netting. <laughs> and we were getting uh, oysters. Uh, 
with young Henry Brewing and those guys, Oscar and the guys. They were great. Uh, but we had a diver in the water letting us know if the bull sharks were coming. Now, I don't know. What's that? Like Paul Revere? Right. The British? What, you're telling us the bull shark can outswim your, your notice telling me that they're coming. And he says, yeah, but I could see them far away if they're coming. And, but still, if a pack of bull, I don't even know if they swim yeah. in packs, schools, whatever, <laughs> they come for us. Someone's getting eaten. Yeah. So, uh, but luckily nothing happened. So things like that. And it goes on and on between uh, mosquitoes, you know, and Ooh, yeah. dengue and uh, malaria and well, there whatever was the, else. Uh, I remember, too, and I can't remember. I think it was actually. Zika, everything. Yeah. Just, yeah. Like people around here are worried about, you know, just the flu, which is flu is, you know, no joke, but you got some crazy shit around the world. Uh, yes, because you don't have the immune system to deal with it mostly, you yeah. know, no, no matter where you are. Never mind sure. strange foods and drinks. Right. Just the different diseases you're exposed to. And, and I'm happy to say in the four years of doing those different shows, mostly Booze Traveler, I only missed two days of one day. Uh, in the favelas of Brazil, we all got stomach flus. So it wasn't from drinking. Yeah. So the crew rotated in and out. And then, of course, uh, I took the day off while they did uh, some B-roll stuff. And then one other time, uh, I took half a day off because I was sick from something. I think I was I remember throwing up blood. Is that in New Zealand? I forget. Uh, yeah. But other than that, it was, it's been great. So, what about Mongolia? Because I remember, I, don't, I think you even talk about it on the episode itself, but you were way, way out there. And you, we I, I lost. think in Mongolia, unless you're in Ulaanbaatar, the, the capital, you're way out there. Yeah, no matter and, where. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, well, it's not that we got lost. We were trying to find our host family okay. for the episode, and they are uh, nomads. Yeah. So, by definition, they don't have an address. You're not texting them. No, no, there's no GPS. What is it going to say? Turn left at the sand? There's, there's, it couldn't tell you anyway. Yeah. In a quarter of a mile, you're still lost. Yeah. Rerouting, rerouting yeah. constantly, right? Yeah. Proceed to the route that there is no route. So we had to find camel tracks. So we had a scout with us yeah. to look for the camel tracks, to follow camel tracks to the camels, and then sit around and wait for them to decide to go home. So, at the end of the day, they all go home because the owner keeps the babies there. So, the, the adults go home to feed the babies. So, they can track them. The camels, can they, they know where the babies can, are. They just let the camels go. Yeah. And they go around. They, they're out all day. And then they come back. Nobody steals them. They're out there. No one's, you know, it's not a yeah. lot of people. And we followed them home. And they took their time, of course, because they're camels. Yeah. And they're stubborn. <laughs> yeah. And they're slow. And we finally made it back to the family. It was dark. It was at night. Thankfully, they were still awake. And they welcomed us onto their land. And that we popped up tents. And uh, we had to go through a ritual. To be on their land, you have to drink three bowls of what they're serving. In this case, it was fermented mare's milk. On another side of Mongolia, it was camel milk vodka. And each of them made both, but it's whatever they decided to give at the time. And it's called Irag, A-R, excuse me, A-I-R-A-G, and it's fermented mare's milk that ferments in a cow's stomach that's hanging on the side of the gear, or the, uh, 
yurt or gear, G E R, however yeah. you want to say it. That's the tent. Yeah, the big round room. tent yeah. that they just can go up in 45 minutes. It's amazing. It's like yeah. a circus tent. Yeah. There's two of them, and there's 17 people total, 100 head of camel, horses, cows, whatever they have. And uh, it was really strong, but I had to drink three bowls because they think that if you, first of all, if you acquiesce to whatever they ask you, then you're probably friendly. But also, if you can drink three bowls of, of this stuff that you're probably not used to, then you're okay, man. You yeah. passed the test. Yeah. And you're probably not going to kill them and take their stuff right. and their land and everything <laughs> right. else, right? Because yeah. yeah. you probably get a little buzz from it. Yeah. Was and, it a good uh, buzz you get a, from that? Yeah, you know, it was part buzz, part you know the physicality of be- drinking that because it was so strong, like uh. vinegar and sour and all of that, and the aesthetic of being in Mongolia with these wonderful people yeah. and the way they dress and the way they talk and the way they act and and the beautiful sense of humor they had and the little kids running around with their big smiles throwing a ball at you, wanting to play catch or yeah. or wanting to show you their doggy and it just it was great. So uh, I w- I was buzzing. But it was more than just the drink that brought me there. Yeah. Well, it seems like uh, well, it seems like um, a lot of it is. It's not that culture of like just high ABV. Like sometimes in the nature of how it's made, it is. But it's it's not about getting hammered. It's about it's creating. It's once again it goes back to that culture of like we're not just trying to get everybody hammered. And it's no, not very a few places around the world actually that I went to. In my limited experience, of course, but I saw most of the world do it to get hammered. Very yeah. few. Yeah. It's so much more of a process of uh, a spiritual experience. Yeah. Whether they're pouring one out for their lost relatives or their ancestors, whether they're spraying it into the air, north, south, east, west, to the spirits of the sky, whether they're doing some kind of ceremony whether it's just the alcohol itself that's um, that they insist is 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 pure, uh, just for the for the because it's uh, it's so meaningful what this has given them. Yeah. Whether it's the German purity laws that we talked about, and or whether in in Mongolia the grandparents gave this couple years and years and years ago. Of course, when they got married, they've been married fifty or sixty years. They were very old. Uh, a still, and the still fits right into the middle of the gear. There's an opening in the top of it, and and so it gets they distill it and it goes out the top, and and they just they want to do it the right way for their grandparents who gave them this still, who sacrificed so much to give yeah. them this, so they could have their drinks. It's just wonderful everywhere, yeah. but it's mostly much more ceremonial than just getting chit faced for sure. Yeah, yeah. What? what um I think the first episode I saw, and I don't know if it was season one, the the uh, sumo wrestlers. Was that yeah, the, Japan. That was season one. Yeah, yeah. I was lucky that guy didn't squash me like a bug. <laughs> well, when he they, was done playing with me, he just whipped me around and threw me out of the ring. Yeah. It's like running into a wall, yeah. except the wall <laughs> might have a little more gift than he did. Yeah. Well, they were just so welcoming, dude. Like, they were just, they just, they just seemed like chill dudes. Like, just, you know, I mean, I'm sure that there are times when they're not, but, but they were pretty laid back it seemed for who they were yeah. yes yeah. because they are the rock stars they're yeah, they're yeah. the movie stars yeah they are the the most famous people they combine everything yeah and no one's bigger than sumo or champion anyway yeah and we were just supposed to watch 
in the dojo or whatever it's called. I think it's a dojo. Yeah. Or maybe that's from martial arts. I forget. Anyway, so we're there and we're just going to watch. And one of the champion wrestlers comes over and tells his master that it's okay if I come onto the floor, which is sacred ground. And I said, oh, wow. Because even the master was surprised, but he said, they're inviting you onto the floor. Yeah. So they brought me down to the floor. And once again, you can't turn that down, right? No, I mean, that's, that's no. A and I didn't have to fight. It was just to observe yeah. and to go through some of the emotions, the exercises. Yeah. And then we were having fun, and I might have lost my head. And they said, you want to do it? And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm in Japan, <laughs> right? In this yeah. cool place right in Tokyo. And they invite me to sumo wrestle. Now, they got me by a few hundred pounds, yeah, right? Yeah, I'm not the hundred. biggest guy as it is. Yeah. And they said, if you do it, you have to wear the mawashi or the diaper. Yeah. And it looked ridiculous on me because they're all so big. Yeah. They're one size, right? Oh, yeah. And so I was like, can I have a small? You got this an extra small? <laughs> right. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. So it looked silly already. And I had to really do it. I really had to run at them and try to move them off the block and put them out of the... There's no way I'm going to. Sure. First of all, yeah. size alone yeah. dictates I'm not going to move them. And then technique, he's been doing it his whole life. And he's a champion, yeah. by the way. Even if he's a beginner, he's better than yeah. me, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. He's still got 150 pounds, <laughs> yeah. 200 pounds on yep. me. Easy. Maybe more. But I had to do it. And I didn't break anything. I could have. Yeah. If he... Said, "Oh, this is on. This is going to be on TV in America, huh? Uh -huh. I'm going to show them to have more respect for the. <laughs> but they invited me. This yeah. was, we, it wasn't. We weren't trying to make jackasses out sure. of them, right? We yeah. weren't spitting on their culture. Yeah, I just wanted to do it only because they invited me. Yeah, and they said, if you do it, we'll go have drinks with you. So that was the plan, and so we did it. And I was sore, of course, but we had enough uh, sake to soothe the, the sore muscles <laughs> and the aches and pains. And they can drink too, right? One guy had 20 bottles of sake." And, 20 bottles of and sake. And it was straight as an arrow. Holy shit. Jeez. <laughs> but like you said, that's what they do, right? In excess. Yeah. So what, um, what's next for you? Like what, what, do you, what do you have working on? The, I know you said that you're working on a few things uh, now. Um, there was a thing that you were sharing um, recently, the high road. Yeah. Right. See, so I was very lucky, as I said, going through chemo. To not be affected the way they said I would be. The only slight issue I had was sleeping at night. When I would close my eyes, there was stabbing flashes of white light, like lightning bolts, or a paparazzi's old camera, you know, uh, yeah. flashing in your eye. And uh, very distracting. I couldn't put anything over my eyes, right? Yeah. And that was the chemo, and they said that's normal, and I couldn't sleep. So somebody recommended CBD oil, and uh, I didn't know much about that whole side of it, but I tried it, and it actually worked. Yeah. Then I met uh, a guy, Smoke Wallen is his name, it's his real name, and he is president of uh, Vertical Companies and uh, Vertical Wellness as well. And we got together and decided that we would try to uh, do an updated uh, show about CBD uh, and THC and all things cannabis and how it's been so misunderstood and why it was ever um, uh, prohibited in the first place. You know, 
They made they made a movie in 1936 called Reefer Madness oh, yeah. that was supposed to scare the bejesus out of anybody who ever wanted to try marijuana. And and uh, just going back a little bit, uh, hemp was called the next billion dollar industry, but there were people who didn't want it to succeed, like William Randolph Hearst, who owned newspapers, but he also owned paper mills, and hemp threatened that. Yeah. And Dupont, you know, the chemical guy, and yep. he had. Uh, Nylon and hemp was threatening that, so they conspired, according to what I learned, to make it illegal. And they got this guy, Harry Anspinger, who said, uh, There's nothing wrong with it. And then he changed his mind suddenly. And so they made this movie, they financed this movie, and they scared everyone. And so they, uh, they prohibited it. And because alcohol came off that list in January 1933. And so, they had to they had to put something on the on on the list. So they put that, and it's weird because cannabis grows as two different things, either as hemp or as what they called marijuana because they wanted to come up with a scary name. Yeah. Basically, it's the same plant, and it's a deviation in it. It either grows with 0.3 percent THC or not, and the THC is psychoactive. But CBD was discovered in the 80s. And it turns out that does really some wonderful things, anecdotally. Yeah. I can't say it scientifically, although I think science is starting to prove it. Israel is way ahead of us in that because we, we were so paranoid about, it. oh, no, it's horrible. You do all these crazy things. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's a panacea, a cure-all for everything, but we were lied to about its efficacy and what it can do yeah. because there are too many people who are helped by it. I'm not saying throw away the opioids, although those are horrible. Or just turn to CBD and THC and your life will be perfect. I'm not saying that. But let's judge it for what it really is, not mm -hmm. what we would lie to about sure. what it is. And then Nixon, of course, put it on the class one list in the 70s, right up there with heroin, which it should never be. Right. And by the way, disclaimer, I'm not a marijuana user. Never smoked. Yep. My father was a drug addict. So I said, eh, I might have a weakness toward that. Let me stay yeah. away from it. Right? Yeah. It's just trying to learn from... From your parents, good and bad. And my mother's a saint, so I could never be like her. But yeah. I didn't want to be like my father, for sure. Yeah. And so I'm not a user. But CBD doesn't work on the head. It has no THC, or just not enough to, to, to affect you. Yeah. And it, it's for anxiety. Uh, veterans now, uh, PTSD, they're, they're discovering it's helpful for that. It's, it's always been, the joke was it's good for glaucoma, uh, which it is. But... Uh, any inflammation, inflammation, digestion, yeah. so many things, cancer, uh, the effects of that. It helped me sleep. So I was a believer. I still am. And yeah. so we go out there now and we see all these people who are helped, some who are against it. We, we cover the politics of it. We cover the financial side of it, the legal side of it, uh, socioeconomically, how it's changing people's lives and, and how uh, people are changing their minds on it. When, when, especially since CBD came into the discussion, it opened the door to talk about marijuana now because before it was either yeah. pro or against, you know, sure. either, yeah. you, either you got high or you didn't. Right. Now, yeah. because there's an element of the plant that's helping people, uh, and now they're cooking with it, it's in salves, lotions, jellies, yeah. beer, everything you could possibly want. And, and again, uh, we go out there and tell these stories. There are people who, and there's wonderful stories. There's a guy, Al Harrington, used to play in the NBA. Oh, yeah. And his grandmother, uh, he got traded to Denver, and his grandmother came to visit, and he talked her into trying it because she had horrible uh, 
I, I think it was glaucoma or some eye issues, and couldn't read her Bible. She was very upset, and he said, uh, hey, Grandma, why don't you try some of this? And she said in a very old-school, charming way, I ain't smoking no reefer. Because <laughs> that's what it was back <laughs> yeah. in the day. Oh, yeah. Right? So <laughs> the point of it is uh, she tried it, and she, uh, she was tears coming down her eyes. Uh, how wonderful it was uh, that she could then read her Bible again. And she's not someone who wants to get high. Sure. People just want to avoid suffering. Yeah. You know? And if you can't avoid suffering, at least let's lessen people's suffering. And why would you be against something that keeps people from suffering? Why? Right. Why would you be against it? What, what is it that's in your religious outlook or your spirituality or something in your social mores that says... I mean, look, opioids are killing people. Yeah. Killing people. Yeah. There's like 50 people a day, I believe, something like that, in the high 40s, a day that die in America from opioid. So how much is that over the That's course legal. of time? And, and, Nobody's yeah. ever died from marijuana overdose. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying use it. I'm saying learn about it. Right. Learn right. about it for what it truly is. And that's what the show is. And hopefully we show people a better way. We're not advocates for it. We're just opening their eyes. That's why it's called The High Road. The High Road. With Jack <laughs> Maxwell coming soon. And if you follow me on social media, we put things up there all the time. It's, edit it's being edited right now. So it'll be coming out, I would imagine, in the next few months, certainly. Uh, but it's The High Road with Jack Maxwell. The High Road Show is, I think, the Twitter handle they created for it. But my personal one... In a nod to my neighborhood in South Boston, I'm Southie Jack. That's S-O-U-T-H-I-E-J-A-C-K on Twitter and Instagram. And on Facebook, apparently there are a lot of Jack Maxwells, but just read the stuff. And if, you, <laughs> if, if it matches up with the Twitter and Facebook, you know, if it looks like me, it's probably me. Not always, though. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you, know, you, you know that... Uh, that you so-called made it when you, all these fake accounts yeah. are popping up, pretending to be me, yeah. either using my picture or selling Bitcoin, saying they're me, or, <laughs> or using my name, not my picture, or uh, both. So we've had to deal with that, but I guess that comes with the territory. That's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So, dude, one th we forgot to talk about, we're here at Arizona Wilderness. Yeah. And the wilderness guys, John and Pat. We're on booze travel. They were. Yeah. We were lucky enough to have them yeah. when we did the Southwest episode here in Arizona, and they make some great beers. And it's just such a wonderful story. And they're really good guys. So they opened a new location. They started in Gilbert. So we filmed a little bit there, but uh, we went up to Sedona with them and uh, took inner tubes down the river and drank some of their beers and uh, foraged for materials. Yeah. For the, that's what I love about them. They're so creative. Yep. They don't want to just make beer. They want to make an experience. They want to incorporate all that is Arizona into what they drink and what they have for others to drink. Yep. And it's such a wonderful, holistic, organic approach to everything, just how, how it is. I was really impressed. So that's why we wanted to have them on the show. And uh, that's why I've stayed in touch with them. They're great guys. Yeah. And when you said we're doing the podcast down here... I, I was still, they're not around, obviously, they're doing other things, but it was uh, it's just great to do it here and to see how far they've come. And you, I know you, you, uh, you uh, I, I guess because of what they do, you have so much in common with them, and now yeah. you've become friends with them, and they're just really good guys. Yeah, they are. They, uh, we met uh, John down here 
talking to him about the beer book that we're doing. So we're doing the Arizona Beer Book, highlighting. Uh, when does that come up? So the goal is October 1st. So it's going to be a highlight. Right around the corner. Yeah. Yeah. And, so and what's going to be in it? Beer? Do you get a free beer every page? Yeah. <laughs> Open it up and it Coupon? just pours, pours right out. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, now we're looking at uh, coffee table style, high quality, photocentric, hardcover, eight and a half by eight and a half. Um, it's not going to be uh, like a all, it's not going to cover all the breweries. This is like volume one. So each each one's gonna have about about forty breweries highlighted. Yeah, in Arizona. In Arizona. Oh, all that's Arizona. great. Yeah. So of, of all the ones in this first edition, they're all breweries except one is a meadery, Superstition Meadery up in Prescott, and then Cidercore in um, uh, over in Mesa. So, but they're part of the craft scene, man. Like they, they everyone just kind of considers Superstition Meadery and Cidercore as part of the the craft beer scene because they're, it's it, it, it's so similar and they're just awesome people. So we, we talked to John about being in the book, um, and he's like, yeah, dude. He's like, we're in. He's like, and actually, he's like, this weekend, um, he's like, we're taking a camping trip up to do a, a, you know, spontaneous fermentation beer out in the wilderness. Do you want to go? And I text my wife right away. I'm like, Jackie, can't say no to this. <laughs> She's like, you're going, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm going. I'm uh, like, Jackie's like, cool. sweet. She's awesome. Yeah, she is awesome. Really yeah, I wouldn't be able to do any of this without her. So I, I was kind of texting her like, mm, I wonder if I should go. And she's like, you're going, right? I'm like. Yep, I'm going. I'm like, you cool with that? Yeah. The so, boss signed off. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so it was just real cool to go out there with them and, and do this, you know, this wild ale, uh, collaborating with like four or five other breweries throughout the country. And uh, it was just really cool to, to kind of see these guys in action. Um, how did you connect with them? Like, how did you, did you discover them as far as knowing about them and saying, we got to get them on the show? Or how did that, how does that happen? Well, having lived in Arizona, of course, I was aware of them. But the production company is responsible for putting segments together with the blessing of the network. Yeah. And uh, they do such a great job. Or they did, obviously. We're talking past tense now. They're called Carga 7 out of L.A. And uh, they put it all together. So they... Uh, you know, I mean, when you do the Southwest and you're in Arizona and you're going to talk cocktails, beer or otherwise, whatever, wine, you have to include them because they're just, yeah. they're really making their mark. And it's not about the commercial aspect at all. It's what we talked about before, how they, how they approach it. Because, you know, then it becomes a cultural thing. It's not just about drinking. The show was never, it was about drinks, but not drinking per se. Sure. It was about, as I've said what people drink, why they drink it, and the stories they tell when they do. Yeah. And it's about the culture. So when, when you know, they focus on the culture of Arizona and they incorporate that, so I knew we had to have them on, and we were lucky enough to have them. Yeah. Awesome, man. Jack, we've been trying to do this for about a year, I think, is what we initially Oh, I haven't <laughs> been that busy, have I? <laughs> no, oh, come well, on. I us. wanted to do it no, for you. No, both of us. Both of us, because I'd be All like, right. All right, man, and you'd be like, hey, dude, let's, let's do it. I'm like, sure. oh, shit, I got these other things going on. Yeah, you know? no, I'm very uh, happy to finally do yeah, this. And you do too. a great job. Thanks, man. It's I not easy that. to do a podcast, I understand. No, no, it's, it's, it's not. You did a podcast yourself. Yeah, you know, a, a, a sponsor came to me and said, would you do a podcast? And I did it for, it was scheduled for one quarter, 13 episodes. I ended up doing 14 because the last one we filmed, you were on that one, actually. Yeah. We filmed it at uh, the Breadfruit and Rum Bar restaurant. And it went so long that night, uh, it became two. Yeah. So I did it as an experience for 13 or four, uh, 14 episodes, 13 weeks. And it was a lot of fun. 
And it was great to do that, to practice long-form storytelling, because I, I don't think I'd be good at it, and I didn't think, and I didn't know how to do it exactly, but it was a great experience. Yeah. And so uh, with The High Road, hopefully I'll be doing television again soon. If not, there's a couple other shows that I'm pitching. I'm also going to, uh, I don't know when it's going to come out, but I just wrapped on a film called The Pragmatist. I shot that, and uh, that's, that's a lot of fun. So that brings me back to my theater roots, if you would. Yeah. So between hosting on television and film, I hope to stay busy in the next, next couple of years. And, of course, I'll, I'll keep you updated on social media. You I'll call because yeah. we're, we're friends. But uh, for people who want to follow... Like I said, it's at Southie Jack. And, uh, and thank you. You know, the, the, the fans of Booster, to this day, even though it's been off the air for over a year, uh, every single day of my life, someone comes up to me and says, man, I really dig your show. I really loved it. Uh, some think it's still on, or some because they catch reruns, or uh, they lament the fact that it's no longer on. But the fans of that show, not of me, of that show, yeah. were passionate. Whether they love to travel and didn't drink, because some of the best compliments I ever received is, hey, man, I don't drink. As a matter of fact, I'm in program, 12 yeah. steps and all. But I, I love what you do with it and how you show the cultures. Yeah. So we, we get fans of travel who would like the show, fans of drinking, fans of hopefully looking at life through the, the lens of someone lighthearted who enjoyed life and celebrates life. Because I like to do that and try to be, have fun and be funny and... Well, uh, however it is there's so much about life to celebrate people don't want to focus on that that's great but I do and that's how I'll do a show as long as I can and yeah. the high road is like that as well yeah well if you need a guest on the high road not that I partake in that but if I had to I would well we'll <laughs> figure something out for sure <laughs> awesome Jack thanks man I really appreciate it Eric, Keep it's up the awesome great work. it's been my pleasure thank yeah. you for having me man we'll do it again for sure right. for sure it should be running series at this point right there you yeah. go. All right. Yeah, but I, I think they want to hear from you and your beer expertise because it's a, it's a, you know, obviously it's a, uh, yeah. it's a beer, uh, you know, podcast, yeah, and with a very clever name. That's you know, my wife Jackie tells me all the time. She's like, I just love that name. She's like, the name is. I've sold shirts just on the name alone. People yeah. don't even know. Like, I don't even know what it is. Tell, like, tell everybody how you pronounce it and what it is and why. Tap that AZ because it's Arizona. It's all Arizona. And the beer tap. You got to tap But it. also, it could be tap that as. I, I never which, even thought of that. Yeah, yeah. sure you did it. <laughs> which is very close to, you know, something kind of cheeky, right. so to speak. <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's very clever. So I'm sure people don't want to hear this guy's personal story more than once. But if you'd like to have me back on it, I'd love to do it. Yeah, well, we'll do some. We'll do some. Uh, you're a cocktail guy. I know that, so we'll maybe we'll do some cocktail places. Sounds great. I'm in. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. Uh, go to those back episodes. I think you just go to Travel Channel. Just Google it. Booze Traveler. Watch them. Um, just a great, great show. Jack has such a cool personality. Perfect fit for the show, Booze Traveler. Uh, big shout out to Jack for uh, being a guest on the show. Just being an awesome dude. So. Thank you guys for listening. Tap That AZ is part of the Hopped Up Network. It's hoppedupnetwork.com. It is a network of craft beer podcasts throughout the country. There's around 30, 30 plus episodes or um, shows on this network at this point. So go check it out. Find yourself a new uh, beer podcast. Not replacing this one. Just find another second most awesome or whatever. Just go check it out. Always remember, stay awesome. Y cuando se va de casa, triste me